Welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. Tonight it is another episode all about the Copa Libertadores with the first week of the group stage kicking off. Joining me tonight is a regular in the shape of Simon Edwards and also a debutant all the way from Holland, Vincent. I'll come to you first, Simon. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, good. No, nice to have a nice full calendar. A very, very busy week of Libertadores this week. Bit of a cold, but looking forward to getting into some interesting tyres. And how are you doing over there in freezing cold Northern Europe, Vincent? Yeah, I'm fine. It's absolutely freezing. You're right. Um, it's also a little past 4am right now here, so I'm a bit tired, but hopefully uh, it won't affect the pot. I'm really excited that the Libertadores is back, so I'm excited to get into uh, rounding up the past week. The beast from the east didn't affect your Copa Libertadores viewing this week, then? Not yet. It actually helped, because I had a reason to stay inside and just watch all possible games. Very true. The perfect excuse. Anyway, I, I, I think we're going to start with me this week, actually, because Tuesday night I went along to El Monumental in Santiago, that's Colo Colo Stadium, and I witnessed yet another disappointing night for Chilean football as Colo Colo fell 1-0 to Atletico Nacional of Colombia, a result which I'm sure pleased Simon. We'll come on to that in a minute. First of all, I actually recorded some sounds and my live thoughts as the game was going on. So we're going to start the show with those. There's some music blaring out at, over the stereo just as I walk into the stadium. It's a full house inside the El Monumental tonight. The match has just picked off. Colo Colo making some early forays forward. Um, we've already seen the Alesco National goalkeeper go down with some kind of injury or cramp where it was only about 30 seconds of the match played. Welcome back to Copa Libertadores. It's approaching half-time. Um, the game has been more about filth than football so far. Uh, plenty of yellow cards, but Colo Colo are trying to make things happen in attack, especially down the right flank through Oscar Pazzo, but yeah, at the moment it's not quite working. And uh, let's go Nash now, if they had a better touch on the counter, could have been leading in third. It's half time and it's Colo Colo nil, let's go Nash now nil. Colo Colo have been the better side, but they've failed to take their chances. Um, although none of them have really been clear-cut. They might want to think about taking more pot shots in the second half, perhaps, especially with the likes of Paredes, Valdez and Valdivia, all capable from range. Colo Colo looking to, to play in Oscar Basel down the right-hand side, but his delivery hasn't been the best so far. Both sides will think that they can win this one still. Um, let's go national. Have looked dangerous position-wise on the counter-attack, but their touch is so poor it keeps letting them down. Really disappointing um, performance from them, especially in what's been a disappointing match so far. Atletico Nacional have just taken the lead through Vladimir Hernandez after a terrible mistake by Carlos Gomono in midfield, who then just decided not to track track back, which left. Um, Vladimir Hernandez to round the goalkeeper and score to make it 
1-0 to be away side. Um, the second half, perhaps a little bit more even than the first half as well. Colo Colo really haven't got going in this one. Um, the home fans are trying to rally their side now. Uh, let's see if they can turn it around in the last half an hour. Into the last 10 minutes of this game. Doesn't look like Colo Colo are going to do much, but Nicolas Orianas just come on. A player who usually gives them a bit of enthusiasm and, and pace and, and running up front. So maybe the youngster can produce. Unfortunately, it fell to a defender rather than an attacker. And here remains one new Atletico. We're in the dying embers of this match now. Colo Colo still searching for equaliser in the last minute of injury time. Can they do it? And it's, all, it's all over here in the El Monumental. And once again, it looks like Colo Colo are probably going to struggle to make it out of the group stage after this poor 1-0 defeat to uh, average Atletico National side although their star man Vladimir Hernandez did manage to come out up with a moment of magic. Atletico National organised for the whole 90 minutes certainly looks like Almiron has done a good job there but they were nothing special and, and Colo Colo really let themselves down in the second half. Okay, and now for the post-match analysis. Uh, Simon, I'll come over to you in a minute to get your thoughts, but you know, as, as you can probably hear there in, in the live, live thoughts that I had during the game, I became sort of more ex exasperated as the match was going on. I've been looking forward to this for weeks. I thought I was going to see an entertaining match, you know, and, and with not so much at stake on the first match day, I thought the game was going to be a bit open, a bit more open than it turned out to be. Um, however, we got a well, a very well organised and fairly defensive Atletico Nacional side, you know, managed to completely stifle Colo Colo really. Um, and it was a Colo Colo side lacking in ideas and crucially in the second half, in my opinion, energy. And this is something I've said before on this pod and in my preview for the website. And this is an ageing Colo Colo side. And it was really noticeable in the stadium how much their intensity dropped in the second half. And the more energetic, the younger Atletico Nacional side started to take over the game. And it certainly felt the Colombians, once they had actually scored, I felt they were in more control than ever. And Colo Colo didn't really have the players um, to come off the bench and, and change the game. Um, so, yeah, overall, uh, um, I thought it was really poor game of football, to be honest, on a technical level. was was really disappointing. The first touch of a lot of those Atletico Nacional players in the first half, especially, really cost them really good chances on the counter-attack. I was surprised, um, to be honest, uh, how poor they looked. But, yeah, in, in the end, um, I'm not sure a fair result is, is the right wording. So I thought it was pretty even over the course of the 90 minutes but I can't really begrudge them the victory because Colo Colo didn't really do enough to justify you know feeling any kind of injustice in this game you know there, there were some nice moments from Hoye Valdivia especially in the first half 
with some driving runs forward. It looked like he might create something. And it looked like, you know, as again, I was saying in the clips, Oscar uh, Opazel uh, down the right. He was dangerous at times. The problem is, Colo Colo were too predictable. Right? They were going the same route every time. And as the game wore on, they, they got tired and, and lacked ideas. And the end result was a win for the Colombians. And uh, yeah, it was an imp- it was a terrible mistake from Carlos Comono in midfield to give um, Nacional the chance to score. Camposano playing a lovely through ball to uh, Vladimir Hernandez, a player that I know all about just through listening to Simon on this pod over the last year or two. Um, and yeah, he rounded the goalkeeper beautifully to score. There was quite a few Atletico Nacional fans in the stadium, actually. They, they must have been about a thousand in the way. And then there was like pockets of their supporters in amongst the home fans as well, which was quite interesting to see. And I didn't see any trouble, which was kind of surprising, to be honest. As Like I started with uh, this monologue with really, you know, a disappointing night once again for Chilean football. How did you see it, Simon? Well, I mean, understandably, the feeling in uh, Colombia is much more positive. Um, while it wasn't a dominant display by any means by Nacional or particularly assured, I think it was well earned. Um, it was the first win for Atletico Nacional away in Chile. They've now won in each of the, the rival countries in, in South America. Southern beat in a Bolivian side in Libertadores, which shows the difficulties of playing at altitude up there in Bolivia. For Nacional, you know, I think... It was a very positive sign for the manager. Um, obviously, Nacional in domestic football have a team capable of winning without playing well because there's just enough quality and enough depth to be able to to get the wins even if they look a bit disjointed. I think the, <clears throat> the, the positives from this game were that Nacional were very, very organised. Um, they didn't rely on you know excellent technical work or passing because or, that was somewhat lacking, but they were solid. Um, they went for kind of a, th- uh, a three at the back or a five at the back with wing backs who are more full backs than anything in, in Delgado and Palacios, uh, Bradieri, Enriquez and Aguila in defence. And then in front they started with um, Boca Negra, uh, Hernandez and Torres. Um, Boca Negra came off and I think that was re- really where Nacional started to get a grip of the midfield in terms of possession, bringing on uh, the aforementioned German uh, Campusano who has, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement. You know, a 20-year-old, 21-year-old comes on and wins an important game, but already being compared to Pirlo, I think somewhat sarcastically. But again, 21-year-old, been playing in the second division in Colombia, moves to Nacional and then makes the key pass. And it was a very well-measured pass for Hernandez's goal, who made a really smart run from deep. And yeah, you know, a 1-0 away, away win in Chile. In terms of the group, you know, potentially one of the more difficult ties uh, and and with the result elsewhere in the group, with the draw we'll talk about in a minute, really sets Nacional up nicely for the group. Obviously, they've got to go away to Bolivia, a tricky game in Ecuador. But, you know, this is a, a really, really positive start. And I think this has really put a lot of Nacional fans at ease, given that the manager came in, you know, there were high expectations that he would turn things around in terms of organisation, given the work he did in Argentina with Lanús. And this is exactly the sort of result that he's been brought in to, to deliver. A tricky away game, solid defence, you know, uh, snatched a win with a, a second-half goal. You know, this is exactly the kind of thing you need to be able to to, to muster up in the Libertadores to go far. So 
Nacional were feeling a lot more confident and a lot more relaxed. Some of the Argentinians came in and played well. So there's lots of positives. I think there's still work to be done. You know, it wasn't a dominant display. It wasn't particularly polished. Daira Moreno was out for personal reasons and he'll come back in. But I think so far so good for Nacional uh, with this result. Yeah, I think disappointing thing from the Colo Colo perspective is, you know, they, they don't really have anybody to, you would say, come into this side and, and suddenly make it better. So um, their new signings have struggled so far. Carlos Comona, Comona, Comona especially has has struggled. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's worrying that they've got Bolivar next um, uh, away in the Paz, and oh, I don't know. I've I've got a feeling that could go very badly for them. Um, looking at their energy levels in the second half in a home match on the first match day, um, you don't want to be playing a game in altitude um, needing something in, in the next game let's wait and see um, I think it's time to move on to because we've got 13 matches to get through more than anything as, as much as we'd love to stay and talk more about this game um, yeah let's move on to probably the game of the week to be honest and that was uh, Racing 4 Cruzeiro 2. Vincent, you saw this one. It was We saw a sensational performance from uh, Ladoro Martinez, a player that Tom Robinson picked out as his uh, key man and, and one to watch in our in our epic uh, Copa Libertadores guide on, on the World Football Index website. So he was quite smug, I think, about, about this one coming off. Uh, and a player we've bigged up now for well over a year on World Football Index pod. So yeah, it, we're happy here at WFI Towers with this uh, result and, and performance from, from Martinez. How did you see it, Vincent? Yeah, definitely. It was the Lautaro Martinez show on, on Tuesday. Um, he scored with two of his three touches in the first half. He was really good for uh, for Racing. Um, so Racing took the lead via uh, Lautaro Martinez, another very talented player from Gre- or from Cruzeiro. Uh, equalized shortly after the Arascaita, Uruguayan uh, attacking midfielder, playmaker. He's 23. Uh, he may be called up to the Uruguayan national team uh, soon for the friendlies. And he equalized, but Martinez was having none of it, and he scored a second and, and a third to put him 3 1 up. Defending wasn't particularly great on both sides. Racing have done the same in the league. They've been a bit sloppy at the back, but they've been able to outscore their opponents more often than not. Um, but overall, it was it was a great uh, a great affair between two sides who who could could go pretty far into this tournament, I would say. Yeah, I, yeah, this game was of great interest um, from the Chilean perspective as well because uh, Universidad de Chile is one of the other teams in this group. And there's also another Brazilian side in this group as well in the shape of uh, Vasco da Gama. So... Yeah, it's uh, we picked this group out in last week's uh, preview pod as as potentially one of the most exciting and entertaining groups, and and if that first match is anything to go by, it looks like we're not too far wrong with that prediction. Um, I think the fact that Martinez's performance in this first game was so impressive might put the willies up uh, Universidad de Chile, um, but yeah. Universidad de Chile kick off against Vasco next week and it's going to be interesting to see how this group looks 
after those two face off next week in Santiago. So let's see. Um, I think it's time to, to move on to another game on Tuesday night. And that was another game you saw, Vincent. And, and that was Defensor Sporting of Uruguay against the reigning champions, Gremio. And Gremio kind of huffed and puffed, didn't they, for 80 minutes or so from what I heard. Finally scored and then and then the Uruguayans managed to equalize. Tell us more. Yeah, definitely. Both sides weren't great, uh, especially Grêmio. You've got to expect more from them. They've got a quality side with players like Luan and Everton uh, as a left winger. So I kind of expected them to to take an early lead or at least push forward. But they were really, really poor in front of goal. It, it didn't look like they were 100% up for it. I mean... They had a lot of games recently in the Copa Libertadores last year and the Recopa Sudamericana against uh, Independiente too. So there's a lot of fixture congestion and I can see them maybe being a little not so motivated for this game, but you've got to expect more from them. And as you said, yeah, they did take a lead. My conduct captain on the night, he picked up a loose ball in the area and he just smashed it home. To be fair, I thought Gremio had all three points picked up for this game, but three minutes later, a corner to the far post gets headed or from from different source and it it gets on someone gets on the end of it and the goalkeeper were, didn't uh, do enough to to reach it so and a quick equalizer for defensor benavides carlos benavides one of the talented midfielders from defensor he had a really good game he had a couple of decent tackles in midfield he is definitely one to look out for as well as ayrton kugo he is a left winger slash fullback he can for the entire flank on the left. I think he was decent uh, for Defensor before being subbed off eventually. Um, but overall, it was a pretty, pretty poor game. But I still expect Gremio to, to advance, especially at home. They will pick up some, some valuable points. But it wasn't a great outing. I'm just looking now at some of the statistics from the game. And it's incredible. Gremio had 78% of the possession. And they had 15 shots on goal. But Defensor also had 12 so it's pretty amazing. It shows how ineffective Gremio were with all that possession they had. 78%, that's that's crazy. 60%, when you watch a game with 60% possession, you can see a side really dominating. But to have 78% and to only uh, get three more shots off than the than the defensive, uh, the resilient defensive side. So yeah, I mean, for me, from what I saw from the game, Gremio looked quite flat. And, and from what you said, yeah, you know, quite disappointing for them. Um, you know, they've got so much quality, but if you're not moving the ball, if you're not making chances, then it's it's not for a lot. And uh, the fencer managed to get a, a good number of efforts on goal, uh, despite having very, very little possession in this game. Defensor by name, defensor by nature. <laughs> let's uh, <laughs> let's let's move on to a game you you saw, Simon uh, Monagas of Venezuela. They fell two 0 at home to. Cerro Porteño of Paraguay, one of the two teams we expect to go through in this group. How, how did how did you think the Paraguayans did um, as they sit atop of this group after match day one? Yeah, yeah, you know, it was a fairly open game. It was the the first game of the of the tournament. Um, both sides created quite a few chances, and I think in a lot of ways it came to a, a wonder strike and a, and a very impressive goalkeeping display from the from the Paraguayans. Um, the opening goal of the tournament was a real special one. It's definitely worth checking out on, on YouTube. Uh, Christian Inzaraldi um, scored a really, really nice volley. The ball was kind of loose in the box and he just curled it on the volley high up into the top corner. 
perfectly executed and, and it gave Cerro Porteño the lead. And again, Anthony Silva, the goalkeeper uh, who's played here in Colombia, is a goalkeeper I've seen quite a lot of. You know, he's, he's a good keeper, but he had a really, really good game. You know, uh, Monagos created quite a lot of chances in this game and Silva and goal was very, very important. Pulled off a spectacular save to keep it at 1-0. Uh, in the second half, again, quite open, quite even the game. But Cerro Porteño had a little bit extra class and Marcos uh, Caseras gave him the second goal. Um, Juan uh, Vigliotti uh, got a, a red card for two yellow cards in the second half as well. And that was kind of the end of the tie as far as the Venezuelans are concerned. But overall, yeah, a fairly even game. A good away win for Cerro Porteño. Had a little bit more class on the day, but both sides put up a spirited display and there were good chances at both ends. But Anthony Silva and the, the spectacular volley in the first half were the difference for the for the Paraguayans. Let's move on to Wednesday night, where Nacional of Uruguay played out probably the most predictable result of this tournament as they drew nil-nil with Estudiantes of Argentina. I think pretty much everybody who follows South American football could have told you that this game would finish nil-nil, and yet you watched it for some reason, Vincent. <laughs> Yeah, I promised myself to not watch it, and I watched it, and I have a lot of regrets still. It was a terrible, terrible match. I wish I would go. I would just go to bed uh, at the time. I think that sums the game up beautifully. <laughs> Absolutely no action to talk of then. No, there wasn't. It was just two teams defending their lives. Uh, Estudiantes uh, fielded a five at the back two, which made it even worse. Uh, they the only danger uh, they had came from Otero and Milano, the two strikers who are quite pacey, but they were not having the best of games. So Estudiantes just didn't pose any threat up top. And Nacional are quite defensive themselves and just weren't able to break Estudiantes down. So nil-nil. A nil-nil, which wasn't quite so bad, was Millionarios against Corinthians. But it wasn't exactly a thriller, was it, Simon? No, it wasn't. I wasn't particularly impressed by... Well, Corinthians in particular looked very, very flat and limited. Um, Millonarios, again, they have a team which is solid. They can pass the ball fairly well. You know, they're not... They don't have any glaring weaknesses, but they're not particularly creative. You know, in, in Iron Del Valle, they have a good striker with a good record. The midfield can all pass the ball. You know, the the, the wide men track back, the central defenders... Matias de los Santos was probably one of the standout performances in, in the defence. Wilco Farinos had a good game in goal, although not that much to do. Uh, Corinthians, again, very conservative in this game. Um, they even actually brought on uh, Emerson Sheik, who's 39 and unbelievably still knocking about. I mean, not because he's 39, but because I saw him 10 years ago and he looked like he was getting on a little bit. So, you know, fair play to him, but he was as effective as you would imagine. And... Yeah, very disappointing. I mean, particularly Corinthians, a huge, huge Brazilian side, but they really didn't offer very much. And Millonarios, solid, but too often relying on putting the ball into the box, kind of hopeful. And with Ayrton Del Valle up front on his own, they brought on Roberto Ovelar as well, who's a bit more of a bustling, kind of more suited to that yeah, crossing game. But again, he couldn't really get any grip of the game. There were a few chances here and there. Um, the biggest chance of the game... Felt, uh, I think it was Christian Herfano who who had a good opportunity in just the edge of the six-yard box, blazed it over after some good bit of build-up play. You know, overall, a flat game. Both of these teams are not going to be comfortably beaten in this tournament, but they're not going to be particularly creative. 
Um, this group is not looking particularly exciting from what we've seen so far. Um, but, you know, surprisingly, we have Deportivo Lara at the top. So we'll, we'll talk about them in a minute. But, uh, yeah, you know, this game was a, a game played out by two teams keen not to lose their first game. Millonarios at home against the Brazilian side, you know, wanted to to be solid and see what could happen. And, and Corinthians didn't particularly go for a win and didn't particularly look particularly dangerous. I mean, I mean, what were your thoughts on this one, Adam? I think you saw this one as well, didn't you? Yeah, I, I was very disappointed with this match as well. It was, it was another match that, well, I, I picked it over Flamengo uh, River Plate, which, of course, ended uh, 2-2. <laughs> so it looks like a terrible decision. But I come on to my reasoning why I missed that one in a minute. Um, but yeah, I, it, it just felt like one of those games where Corinthians clearly came for a point and they didn't really seem particularly interested in trying to get any, anything more than that. It was a little bit like the Colo Colo Atletico Nacional game in some ways where the game was broken up by so many fouls as well that it, you know, it just became sort of a, a difficult spectacle to watch at times. I thought Millionarios looked dangerous at times with, with when they whipped the ball in at pace from the wings. Um, that really seemed to spook the, the Corinthians goalkeeper a couple of times. He wasn't sure whether to come come for it or, 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 or stay on his line. And for me, they didn't do that enough, either get the ball in the box or get the ball in the box with that sort of quality delivery. They only managed it two or three times. Uh, a lot of their crossing was disappointing on the night. So I, th- I think both these sides will fancy their chances of going through in this group. I think both of them probably have a bit of work to do to to make sure of that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And as I say, I think both teams have a certain level of quality, a decent amount of organisation, but they're not going to be particularly exciting. And I think if they do get some the the, the results they need to qualify, and, and I think they might do, it's going to be by the odd goal here and there. And, you know, so I don't expect too much from either of these sides, but they do look solid and they do look organised and that may be enough to get them both out of the group. Okay, well, the game I briefly mentioned there, Flamengo 2, River Plate 2. Now, the reason I didn't watch this was because it was played um, behind closed doors and not even in the Maracanã either. It was played in uh, Botafogo Stadium, the stadium they used in the Olympics in, in 2016. I find games played in front of no fans, you know, quite a difficult watch. But... Looking at the highlights today of this game, it actually seemed a fairly entertaining affair, didn't it, Simon? Yeah, no, it was fairly good. I mean, I'm disappointed that, that Juan Fernando Quintero didn't get more minutes. Um, you know, it, it was an interesting game. A lot of the goals seemed to be from crosses or somewhat out of nowhere. Um, from what I've seen and what I've read, you know, it, it didn't seem to be, you know, the, the best quality of game despite the result and despite the goals. Um, I think both of these teams have potential and and have good quality players but perhaps some still work some work still to be done from from both sides bit of a strange one as well yeah with the empty stadium um always has a very interesting effect so you can hear the players shouting at each other and shout at the referee um but yeah so i think overall two big big teams with some very good players you know a very nice goal for from flamengo the, the second goal was very nice a uh, nice finish, finish by Everton, took it on the chest, spun and then volleyed it past uh, our man Franco Armani in the goal for, for River Plate. But yeah, you know, for overall, from what I've seen and what I've heard, uh, an interesting game 
four goals, but you know, still some work to do for both sides, I think, um, if they're going to be contenders this year. Yeah, I think Flamengo must be kicking themselves a little bit that they didn't pick up all three points here. They led twice in the game. Uh, the first time they conceded like just a minute after taking the lead, I think it was. Um, and and also River play, you know, anybody who's who's seen who's seen anything of them recently in um, Argentinian football will say that you know they've been in very poor form indeed. So Vincent, I know that you've that you've not liked what you've seen so far from River this season. What did you make of them picking up a precious point away in Brazil in this one? Yeah, definitely. River have been very poor recently. Overall, they they will probably be happy with a point in Brazil. Um, but especially in the league, they've been really poor. Um, they've bought some some very expensive players. Uh, Lucas Prato joined for, I think it was 12 million. Uh, Franco Armani, a very good goalkeeper, joined from Nacional. Uh, the forenamed Quintero also joined. Um, so you, you expect more from a club of that stature. But it was, again, another disappointing um, tie, which they probably should have lost. Um, they were 2-1 down come the end of the game and a long shot from Mayada, which hit the back of the net, uh, meant both teams shared the points. But it still isn't good enough for uh, Gallardo's Rivers and they'll have to improve soon because the pressure is is building uh, for Gallardo, who, who's just not been good enough in the league. I think they're below 15th in the Argentine Superliga, although it has a 28-team league. Um, it's still incredibly poor for a club that size. Indeed, indeed. And, uh, and, uh, and another game that you saw um, on Wednesday night was Delphine 1, Bolivar 1. These two sides are, are in the same group as uh, the game we started this pod with, the Colo Colo Atletico Nacional. Do you think that the either the Chilean side or the Colombian side have too much to fear from these two going forward? Not so much from Delphine, uh, as even Bolivar, who usually only play well in La Paz, managed to get a point of them. Um, but for Bolivar, they do have to fear, especially in La Paz, because it will be a tough, tough time up there. Uh, I think Bolivar will be happy with a point here in Delphine. Uh, I think they will be eager to get around seven to nine points at home in La Paz. So they will fancy the chances of going through. But I, as I said, I watched the Nacional game uh, versus Estudiantes, and I was just hoping for some, some spectacle from uh, an Ecuadorian and Bolivian side who usually produce some, some pretty exciting stuff. And there was, uh, around 20 minutes, there was a cat on the pitch, which was pretty funny to, to see, just wandered around and just ran off because... I think that was our first animal on the pitch of the group stage, at least, of, of this little Yeah, it story. was. And it only took two days, so that's, that's kind yeah, of a good thing. I don't know if you saw, but in Chile at the at the weekend, um, I was I was actually so busy I missed it myself. But I've seen some footage since that a dog ran on the pitch during the Huachapato game and managed to ca- catch a rabbit. In the... <laughs> yeah, that? I did. I did see that. I did see that. Yeah, we still have to to witness that in the Libertadores, but it was pretty pretty crazy. Multiple species at the same time. Wow. <laughs> you got to love animals in South American <laughs> football. <laughs> uh, but overall, the, the quality in Bolivar versus Delphine wasn't that high. It was a pretty even game. Uh, Bolivar took the lead around 50 minutes in. A terrible, terrible back pass from uh, Delphine's left back was intercepted by uh, Riquelme. Not the Riquelme, of course, but Bolivar striker. 
and the uh, he rounded uh, Delphine's goal and slotted it uh, it home. Uh, Delphine pushed and got a somewhat deserved equalizer on the stroke of halftime. Um, Ordonez, kind of a cult hero in Ecuador, uh, due to his physical appearance. Um, yeah, he's, a, he's a really big target man, isn't he? I remember he is. I remember him making an appearance against Chile in the World Cup qualifier last year. He did. He had a very good season uh, last season with Delphine, who who been in the third tire, I think, a couple of years ago. So they, they've been doing really well recently. And I think he was crowned top scorer in the Ecuadorian league. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that was the case, so, which eventually earned him uh, the, the Ecuadorian call-up. But he had at home what was a decent cross, and both sides were very... Uh, even in the second half. So I think both sides will probably take a point. It was Delphine's debut in the Copa Libertadores. So, yeah, an even game. I, th- I think this is a pretty precious point for, for Bolivar, though. As, as you mentioned, the fact that you've got a fancy that they're going to pick up quite a few points at home, that that one point on the road just might be enough to take them through. Who knows? Um, let, let's see. Um, so, moving on to... Thursday and Thursday was a night of some surprises really I I would say we had three surprise results out out of the four matches first of all Tivo Lara won Independiente nil Simon yeah you know Deportivo Lara put on a really good display in this one Um, they got the goal fairly early uh, 11 minutes gone Carlos Sierra with the header after a nice cut back and cross from Soto on the right wing. Uh, you know, it was, a, it was a deserved lead, but it was a really tough game in a lot of ways. Very end-to-end. Independiente had more of the possession, but uh, they had like 64% possession, actually. So quite significantly more. But Lara were really competitive and really tough. Um, they put in a good display. There were some good chances both sides. After the goal, obviously, Independiente pushed back to, to get an equaliser. And they had some clear chances. A, a header in the box with the player wide open the the atmosphere was good i mean it's a really big stadium there in lara um not one i'd, I'd seen very often but they had you know almost fifty thousand capacity they were quite far off that but the crowd were making a really really good atmosphere this is only the second win ever for lara in the copa libertadores um a good display they could have snatched a second one at the end as well uh, it was fairly open fairly end-to-end uh, Independiente had more possession, but Lara really had a bit more hunger and a bit more commitment going forward. Uh, right at the end, it was Falcon hit the bar as well to almost make it 2-0. Um, good good win for Lara at home, puts them top of the group. Uh, very, very impressive, but uh, Independiente will obviously be disappointed. But, you know, there's some good work. Um, both of the wingers, uh, Soto and Reyes, for Lara with Falcon in the middle. You know, there was, there was some good work out wide and, and very committed display. Um, impressive atmosphere, although, you know, it was a huge stadium. The pitch wasn't great, um, but yeah, it sets it up nicely and interestingly uh, with Millonarios and uh, Corinthians uh, drawing in the other round. So at the moment, the team we thought would be outside is the top of the group. Vincent, uh, what do you think from an Independiente perspective of this game? Yeah, I think Independiente were really poor. You you gotta expect them to win uh, a game away in Venezuela, but Lara took a surprise lead and managed to hold on. So wasteful finishing up front, poor decision making in the final third from Independiente, and eventually uh, probably a deserved result for uh, for Lara. They were a bit unfortunate, Independiente, 
But, you know, you've got to give credits to Lara for, for sticking it out. Okay, and moving on to Santa Fe 1, Emelik 1. Uh, Simon, you saw this one. Probably the kind of result I think we expected, no? Uh, yeah, so this game um, was one of the early kickoffs, uh, 5.15 kickoff here in Colombia, which is always seems like terrible planning. But I was surprised that Santa Fe got a decent turnout given that Bogota is a nightmare for transport. There's heavy congestion. It takes two hours getting anywhere. So they got a decent turnout for this game, albeit at you know, 5.15 in the afternoon. Um, and the game was kind of what you'd expect. Two teams who are, as we mentioned in the preview pod, well set up to counter and to perhaps hurt some of the more, you know, the more solid, the more technically superior Brazilian and Argentine opposition in this group. Um and a lot comes from the right wing, and it's a blatter. Bajoy on the left is a lot less effective. Um, and, you know, it's a game where, you know, again, lots of crosses, lots of wide play. Um, Santa Fe have attacking fullbacks and pacey wingers. But one of the issues is Plata was on one touchline and Bajoy was in the other touchline. And Morello was in the middle. The, the three midfielders were quite conservative. And there's just a lot of <laughs> a lot of space, you know. Trying to if if Plata has the ball, then you know he has one option in the box and the next option on the other touchline in terms of going forward, and that's a real difficult thing to work, especially when you have a lot of possession. You know, if you go away and what you do is you have pacey wingers to to feed on the counter, then they have 50, 60 yards to run into. But if the opposition is sitting deep and you have the ball in their half, you can play it to the winger and he's got two men on him. Uh, and you know this is a big big issue for Santa Fe they need to work out what they're going to do when they have the ball that said they took the lead you know they they were getting the ball into the box a lot and it's that man again Morello who I think has scored what nine goals in three games now he's been on fire Um, you know he's always been a decent striker but he's found some really good form he's top goal scorer in the Libertadores so far another one tonight Um, and it looked like Santa Fe might sneak it but then again 10 minutes later Brian Angulo scored a goal out of nothing. Santa Fe pushed to get the the, the the winning goal at the end. Couldn't quite do it. Again, two teams who I think might spring a few surprises, but both sides really would have wanted to pick up points against uh, you know the, the, the their their rivals in the group. And I think this is a game where you know neither side wanted to lose, but it would have been a really nice win if if they could have got the three points, whether it be the Colombians at home or the Ecuadorians springing a counter. Uh, you know, I think these teams will be interesting against better opposition, but this game, both teams were hoping to counter. Neither team wanted the ball, um, and Santa Fe reluctantly had it for most of the game, but really going nowhere with with wing, wide players so far away from each other and and a very isolated central striker. So, yeah, work to be done for both sides, but not a disaster to get a point in the first game. Um, and a game, you know, a lot of wing play. A lot of counter-attacking, but you know, it, you know, not a great deal of quality. I think two teams which are very conservative in nature, um, and you know, going up against each other was never going to be a classic. Yeah, all a bit predictable, but great to see the boogeyman score in that one. Uh, moving on uh, to to another surprise result of the night, and that was Real Garcilaso, who beat Santos two 0 at home in Cusco. Uh, it was a fantastic performance from the Peruvians who who really got at Santos from minute one of this game. 
with some high energy, high pressing. They didn't let Santos settle. So important when you play games in altitude, not to let the airway side catch their breath at any point. And, and their plan worked to perfection as, as they grabbed a well-deserved 2-0 victory. The first goal, great ball from Landoro to Santalan. And it was Santalan who then drilled it across the box for Vidalis to tap in um, to make it 1-0. And there you're thinking, you know, will we get a reaction from, from Santos? And they did nearly equalise. Gabby goal, he, he, could, he scuffed his chance. Um, and Arismendi cleared off the line. It was it was one 0 at half time, and um, Garcilasuot kept pressing them, and and Santos looked very shaky in that second half. Um, and the crowd there as well in the stadium really got behind the home side, um, making it even more difficult for for the Brazilians. And um, and they finished the game off with a brilliant shot. Um, from Alfredo Ramua, who is an Argentinian playmaker, and uh, Ramua was was a player that Freddie picked out in our in our Copa Libertadores guide, which is on the website um, as the key man for this side, and he certainly looked it in in this match with a with a very good all round performance there in midfield, and yeah, like I say, a, a superb shot in in down off the crossbar, crossed the line by far. It looked like for a minute that the ref or the referee's assistant wasn't going to give it but yeah eventually the goal was given it, it was it was great to see the Peruvian side grab uh, a surprise 2-0 victory here as it as I think it will help to open the group up especially after the after that really disappointing um nil nil uh between Estudiantes and Nacional that we'd already mentioned um, earlier in this pod, so it, it should make those two sides come out to play a little bit more in future matches in this group. Another game uh, we just witnessed tonight was uh, Alianza Lima of Peru drawing nil-nil against Boca Juniors, so another decent result for a Peruvian side tonight. It's, it's, it's been a very positive start for once for them, for in the Libertadores, and despite Boca clearly being the better footballing side in this one... Uh, Alianza Lima could have won it late on, couldn't they, Vincent? Yeah, definitely. They had some some great chances at the end. Uh, I forgot his name, but Alianza's uh, winger ran on two on one on the goalkeeper uh, on Boca's goalkeeper. Holberg. Yeah, I think that's the one. He just should have squared it, and he shot him. He shot uh, himself, and it was just such a poor decision because he he definitely could have won the game if he squared that one across. But unfortunately for Alianza, uh, he didn't. Overall, I think Boca probably deserved to win. As you said, they had much more possession. They were much more dominant, but they, they kind of failed to to really turn that possession into some some great chances. Uh, Tevez hit the post uh, in the first half. Cardonia at the bar in the second half. But overall, I think Alianza did well uh, to hold off Boca. Yeah, it was it was a nil nil, but it was certainly more entertaining uh, than a couple of other nil-nils I witnessed this week and and yeah like you said both both sides had chances to win it I just had my head in my hands in that with that Holberg chance at the end because it just felt like one of those moments you know it's it's a it's a chance to make a real name for yourself and put yourself in the in the Alianza Lima history books and yeah 
I think he I think he saw his name up in lights Holberg there uh, and went for the glory rather than playing playing his teammate in who was in a much better position. But yeah, I think um, Cardona and uh, Fabra both impressed, which um, Simon would be pleased to hear. They were the two which looked like they would make something happen for Boca on the night. Didn't quite come off. Both of them came close to to scoring in the in the game. Um, Cardona hit the, hit the bar in the second half after Tevez had hit the post in the first, um, as Vincent mentioned. But yeah, Cardona also had a free kick which went into the side netting, um, which was just inches away from going in. The other thing to note from this game was. Basically, from the first minute, the Alianza Lima goalkeeper, Boutron, he looked injured and he kept going down with this injury. Um, and at one point, the physio even gave him a painkiller. But about a minute or two after, he was given a painkiller. I think that's what it was anyway. Um, he was substituted and Daniel Prieto came on in his place. Uh, Boutron, just before... He went off injured, also made a couple of very important saves. Prieto also also made a couple of decent saves in the in the second half as well. So a tale of two goalkeepers for Alianza Lima who um, who come with a who come out of this game with a very respectable clean sheet and a nil-nil draw against one of the heavyweights of South American football and one of the favourites for this competition as well. To finish up this week's Copa Libertadores uh, roundup. Um, we we go to Colombia, where Junior lost three 0 at home to Palmeiras of Brazil, another another one of the favourites for the competition this year. This was a game many people were looking forward to. It didn't really live up up to the billing. Uh, it was a game conditioned by an early red card. No, Simon. Yeah, yeah. You know, after Austin in his prediction predicted that zero Colombian teams would progress. I was feeling quite smug before this one, you know, Colombian teams while Brazil had not won any games. Colombia had won one and drawn two of, you know, they get less, less teams, but they still had more overall points. I was feeling a bit smug. And then Austin's boys, Palmeiras do over uh, this, this talented junior side three nil. Um, Junior came out of the blocks really, really well, passing well, looking very sharp, very enthusiastic. And then Herman Gutierrez kicked a Palmeiras player in the face after nine minutes. And and that was that in a lot of ways. It was clumsy to be kind, stupid to be honest. Um, it just terrible, terrible. After nine minutes, so where you're on top, you're creating chances, and then you kick the opposition in the head. Um, it was... Again, there was an intent there, but it was dangerous play and it's a red card. So Junior went down to 10 men and then the coach spent 20 minutes working out what to do with his with his change. As I mentioned in the preview, Junior have a, player, a team with loads of attacking quality. They play basically a 4-2-4 um, at times. So if you lose a fullback, you can't just not play with a fullback if you're going to play 4-2-4 because that's 3-2-4. And that's that's suicidal. You don't need to be an experienced manager to know that, you know, losing a fullback when you've got no one in midfield, you're going to be in trouble. And they were. They conceded a goal. And the goal was directly connected to the decision not to replace the fullback. So uh, Alberto Rodriguez, the Peruvian international centre-back, was caught out of position for the goal. He, was, he went over to the left-hand side where there wasn't a fullback. 
and threw straight through the middle, just one pass, and it was a, it was an easy goal. It was a, a well-taken finish by Bruno Enrique. Uh, scored a nice goal, but you could just see the massive gap that was left. So, again, this is one of the concerns with Junior. They have a lot of quality, but they're a bit lapsed and they're a bit overly confident, a bit dysfunctional, and the manager doesn't seem to have the appropriate concern about defensive issues. So Junior did play good football. And even when they were down to 10 men, they dominated possession. They moved it much more effectively than, than the Brazilians in a lot of ways. But there was always, there's always that lapse in defense and, and Junior were hit two more times. The second goal was a, was a spectacular one. Miguel Borja, 2016 Copa Libertadores hero who who joined Nacional for that tournament in the final stages of the tournament and scored a load of goals in the quarterfinals, semifinals and, and the final to give them the title. Had a mixed year last year, hadn't scored into, in the Copa Libertadores until tonight and he scored an excellent volley. The ball broke loose and, and on the on the turn he left foot volleyed it right into the top corner to make it 2-0 to, to the visitors, to the Brazilians. And then later in the game, again, another goal Laps defending a real sharp pass into the box. The same player, Bruno Henrique, smashed one into the top corner, but it was a bit too easy. And this is my concern for Junior they have all the quality, they have all the possession, but they're not that penetrative going forward and they're a bit lapsed going defense. Junior then got a penalty at the end, okay, get a bit of credibility. Um, Ruiz, who I'm not a fan of, picked the ball up and Alves snatched it off him. Those two are in competition for the, the main striking role at Junior. So Alves was like, no, I've, I've won this. I'm taking this. And he stepped up and he sent it to Rosie. Uh, high, wide, and not at all handsome. And it just typ- typified Junior's night. A lot of good passing, a lot of interesting, intricate play. But what did I have to show? Nothing. A deserved 3-0 loss. So, again, Junior, for me, showed a lot of quality at times in this game. But... It is concerning that they can concede three in this way. Victor Candijo is a real star for the team in midfield. But if he's on his own, if it's 3-2-4, he's in trouble. And, and, and yes, yeah, so he's definitely one to watch out for. He may get a Colombia call-up in the next month, which will be very interesting given that he was in second division for the last five years, 24 years old, and, and suddenly everyone noticed what an amazing player he is, a defensive midfielder who can who can ping a pass diagonally or can link a little one to hold the ball off, win the ball in midfield, can do everything, a kind of tall player as well. Definitely one to watch out for, but Junior, really disappointing. I think in this tournament, they could thump a few teams if it clicks, but they're always vulnerable. If, if you stay organised, you stay solid, you get men behind the ball, they more often than not won't break you down. So, I think they may click at times and, and be unstoppable, but tonight they were stoppable and they were vulnerable. So, yeah, this is a bit of a downer to end on the Colombian side. You know, Santa Fe did their thing. Millonarios were solid. Nacional got a good result. And then the more exciting junior side collapsed and it was a bit yeah, a bit disappointing. Well, yeah, Simon, uh, thankfully for us, we don't have to deal with a smug Austin Miller this evening. And just before we finish up the pod, um, we did have one question come through on, on Twitter. Uh, their Twitter handle is at GranPojaLagPM. Um, so I'm hoping that's, well, I, I, they're apparently from Brazil, which is interesting. Uh, you know, because I think Poja means something in Spain. 
and it means something else in Colombia. Uh, interesting way it means in Brazil. But the question is, I just listened to your last podcast. Can you guys discuss the last decision that Comunabo announced about playing the 2019 final in just one match and playing in a neutral city? What are your thoughts about the Libertadores? Thanks to you all. Regards from Brazil. So, Adam, you can you can have a go at this one. I think you, you might have some opinions on this one. Uh, uh, one city final. Yeah, I, I think this is ridiculous, uh, to be honest. You know, South America is not Europe. It is so, so different. It is absolutely huge. Um, and people don't realise uh, one of the reasons for this is, is basically because a lot of maps, uh, especially Western European maps, make South America look about the same size as Greenland, when, in fact, it's a few times bigger. So people, I don't think, quite realise just how big this continent is. And also, it's not Europe in the, in the aspect of cheap plane travel. And that is why a one-legged one one -legged final works in Europe so well, is because fans can travel cheaply across Europe to the matches it doesn't it they can get to and from the game you know within a day or two um and that's pretty much almost impossible here in south america uh you're probably looking at having to take a number of days off to make the game it'll probably cost you your life savings to 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 fly to the match and, uh, and attend attend to the match especially if you've already especially if you're the kind of fanatic who's who, if you're going to go to the final, that probably means that you've already gone to quite a few um, biggish away trips on the way already. Um, so, yeah, I just, I really can't see the, the sense in this decision at all. Um, I, I, think, I think there's something beautiful about the fact that the two-legged final allows the chance for, for both sets of fans um, the loyal fans who you know go week in week out and have done for years can see their team in the most prestigious final in in South American football, um, and it's it's really disappointing that that opportunity will be taken away. Simon, I'm sure you have some some points to make on top of that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I've been in Medellin for a Copa Libertadores final. Um, and it was huge, and it's it takes over the whole city. It takes over the whole country. Um, there were five-hour queues to get tickets for the final. Um, it's a huge event. People will tell their grandchildren about being in the stadium for the final. And of course, you know, having two legs takes away some of the drama and the, the spectacle as a TV event. But it's again, it's it's what South American football is all about. It's about you know the the fans and about the the passion and about everything around the the big game and how it takes over the city, how there's fireworks for days, how everything is green and white. And if it's a neutral venue, I mean, plus we're, we're talking about the bigger teams here, but, you know, we've seen Delphine uh, this week and they had a handful of fans, you know, they they could get to the final. It's not impossible. We saw Independiente del Valle get to the final and this is a, a small team um, and, it's a there's, there's new teams in the competition who you know maybe they'll get a decent crowd to turn up for a, for a home game and if they get to a final of course the country will be behind them and, and they'll 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 fill the stadium or they'll put together a, a decent spectacle but you can't expect you know neutrals or, or new fans to travel 
thousands of miles. You know, I was I was organizing um, flights this week from Brasilia to Medellin. And again, that's two relatively big cities, the capital of Brazil and the Colombia's second city. And the flights were over a thousand pounds, which is, you know, three months salary for most people. So, of course, people can jump on a bus. But again, you're only going to then have 5,000 fans either end of the stadium if we're talking about bigger clubs in general, depending where it is. So, yeah, I think it's a real shame. I think what South American football is built upon is upon these passionate fans and is upon these you know, these clubs that are, are representations of, of real energetic, lively cities and, and, you know, to take the game away from them and put it in a, a neutral venue is is problematic. Plus, how do you decide? If you, you have to plan the venue in advance, do you, are you going to book a venue, a book a stadium, which will facilitate a Delphin against Independiente de Valle final or a Flamengo against River Plate final? You know, you're talking about a 70,000 difference in attendance requirements. Plus, where do you put it? You know, it's, it's just problematic for me. I can understand from an outside view, you know, okay, so we want to have a big event final. That makes sense. But it's as if Commonable don't watch the, the games that they're <laughs> responsible for arranging because nothing about this makes sense in terms of encapsulating what is great about the Libertadores and what makes these big big games big how flat you know you want to have a big event final but if you have a big event final with 5,000 fans uh, and you know a, an indifferent city then it takes away everything that's that's great and important about these these massive games which are, are life-changing and they're defining of a, of a person's lifetime you can find a 70 year old man in the street and, and you tell him ask him about the best day of his life and, and he might tell you the 1989 Copa Libertadores final when Nacional won the title and it was the best day of his life and you know he spent the day uh, you know, walking around the city he went to the ground he had the flags and all his all his grandma came and you know it's a huge huge moment in, in people's lives and if it's happening somewhere else um, then it takes away all of that all of that magic for me and Vincent, what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think uh, a good way to put it into perspective was uh, the game from Independiente against Deportivo Lara today in Venezuela. Uh, Lara from a city called Cabudare in the northern of Venezuela. And the distance from Cabudare to Buenos Aires, where Independiente are from, is over 7,500 kilometers. Um, to put it into perspective, that's almost three times the distance from Paris to Moscow. So let's say the Champions League is hosted in Moscow, the Champions League final. Teams will have to travel three times the distance to get to the venue. So there were only a, a handful of fans in Venezuela tonight, which understandably so. These independent fans don't have a lot of money and traveling uh, to support your, your, your favorite team costs a lot of money and a trip from seven and a half thousand kilometers is just too much so i think just like you guys said south america is just it, it's just not europe i get that common ball try to to do the same thing that uh the uefa does but it's just not a good idea in south america from my point of view no and and some other points here maybe to make is the fact that you know the final will be played on a saturday rather than than midweek which is a clear copy of the move that UEFA made with the uh, with the Champions League a few years ago. Uh, obviously, 
hoping that by putting it on a Saturday, possibly in the daytime, they might attract a more worldwide audience. Um, but by doing that, they could possibly um, lose some of their audience within the continent as well. I think this whole idea is is just such a such a badly thought out move from Commodore. But I think it's something we've come to expect from them, to be honest. Um, they seem to go from one disaster to another at the moment in decision making. We also saw the fact that they've invited, what is it, two European sides to the Copa America as well. Um, I think it's two from UEFA, two from AFC, two from CONCACAF. Can, when you've got six teams from, from three different confederations... Um, competing with 10 from Common Ball. Can you really call it a Copper America anymore? Um, yeah, um, personally, <laughs> I'm not so sure. So Such it was a silly idea. Maybe, uh, maybe they could change it to Copa Mundial. That may be a good name for, for the new rebrand. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Now we've already got one of those, haven't we? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, so uh, it's, uh, it just really frustrates me. You know, why mess with something which is just perfectly fine as it is? The problem with South American football is nothing to do with the format of uh, Lipizzores. The problem is, is that they just, if they, if if you want to see it as a problem, you know, it's obviously the quality of the football, and that's simply down to you know world economics and the fact that that Europe at the moment hold you know so much uh, so much of the financial power. And uh, um, and here in South America, we lose so many players to Europe. And South America isn't as competitive with Europe as it, as it used to be, even as recent as sort of the the early two thousands. Um, you have South American teams being able to compete with Europe. That's possibly a discussion for another pod, anyway, isn't it, Simon? But um, uh, yeah, well, maybe maybe we need some. Uh, also, another point in terms of disappointing frustrating decisions we haven't seen much VAR action so far have we seen any VAR decisions yet we don't have VAR do we in uh, Lippard Stories I, I think they uh-huh. trial I think they just decided to uh, trial okay. it for the semi-finals only in the end last season and, right. and I think it went against River <laughs> oh, okay <laughs> if you're a River fan, I was thinking about this earlier if you're a River fan you must feel really hard done by by VAR because basically it, it's only been used sort of against them, I think, so far um, on this continent. And it basically cost them a place in the Libertadores final, from what I recall. So, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting. I'm pretty sure it's not yeah. It's not in the group stage of this competition. Yeah, because it, didn't, it hasn't, hasn't reared its ugly head yet. And I was, you know, I, it popped up last year. I thought we might, thought we might be going with it. But, okay, well, some surprising restraint from... Commonable on this issue then? No, I think I think I've decided against it. I, th- I think the ones looking at the news today, it looks like FIFA are the are the ones um, really pushing for it, and it looks like in the next couple of days it's probably going to be confirmed 100% that they use it in the World Cup, which is yeah, I'm dreading. You know, can you imagine? You've got referees in that from all around the world who will be using it for the very first time. It's just going to be an absolute disaster um, yeah, with the whole world watching nobody's yeah. going to want to take a brave decision 
So go to the VAR, you know, uh, uh, <laughs> that's a whole podcast in itself. But uh, yeah, that is going to take away so much of uh, football. We'll probably have a South American football show with with question answers um, to cover some of these topics in more detail because there is plenty to talk about at the moment on this continent. Um, so I'm going to finish there for tonight. Um, I'll just come to the two of you to to see if you've got anything to plug um, where people can find you on Twitter, etc. Uh, Vincent, I know that you've got a... They're getting very late. It's what... Gone six in the morning there in Holland, no? Yeah, five um, it is. Quarter past five. five. Oh, quarter past five <laughs> in the morning. So um, I'll come to you first so you can get off to bed ASAP. Yeah, cheers. So you can find me at, uh, on Twitter at Vincent Guzman with an underscore at the end. Uh, I've got a Jason Guzman player profile on my Twitter, which you can find uh, as my pinned tweet. I know uh, Simon is a big fan of his, so uh, I think it will be a, a good read. And Simon? Yeah, plug that. That's good. Check that out. Um, I'm also going to do a, hopefully a spotlight, scouting spotlight, uh, which is an idea I think Tom's stolen off someone else. I'm not sure. Um, but we're going to do a spotlight pod on Jason Guzman, hopefully in the next few days. So more Jason Guzman love, which I think is well-deserved. Very interesting. He's the new, new Hammers for this year, but I think he might be the best new Hammers for the last couple of years. So check out that Invigado product. Um, and yeah, check out the preview um there are loads of good stuff on there i can pretend to be an expert on teams i've never seen play because of reading that preview so you can too uh, and yeah twitter at simon edwards saf for all that stuff adam what about you yeah i echo your thoughts on on our on our superb guide up there on the on the world football index um thank you to everybody who's given that a read and given us all the positive feedback it's much appreciated you can follow me at adam brandon 84 on twitter um i actually appeared on Talksport 2 the other day is it called the hugh Wizzy show simon i think you know better yeah. than me yeah <laughs> yeah yeah i think so yeah yeah and uh i I was told that I was going on there to talk about um, Chile, uh, and in the end, I only talked about Argentina and Brazil. Uh, but you know, uh, I'm I'm what happens. Well, you don't get to the World Cup, Adam. Yeah, I know. It's uh, depressing. Very sad. <laughs> Poor Adam. It, it was it was fun to discuss um, Argentina and Brazil's chances. Anyway, I think you can download that podcast anyway if you, if, if you want to catch me on that as well. So, yeah, I think all what's left to say for this week is a huge thank you to our listeners and also to Simon and Vincent for joining me tonight um, to discuss all this Cobra Libertadores action. If you've enjoyed the show, please rate and review us on iTunes or give us your feedback on, on Twitter, positive or negative. And it's goodbye from Simon and Vincent and goodbye from me. <laughs>